Blueire. Think about Lawrence. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. Welcome into episode 110 of Press Pass and the first of 2021. I'm Kayla Anderson alongside my co-host Joshua Perry. This podcast brought to you by Bet Online. Happy New Year first and foremost to you Joshua and the listeners out there. How has it been going in the past few days? Oh, you know, new year, new me or whatever the kids say. Right? Uh, <laughs> I'm it's, it feels just like a continuation of 2020, <laughs> which is a shameful thing to say. It's funny because I made it a goal get going into the new year to go in with a positive attitude. <laughs> so there are certain things that have been positive, like, you know, going into the new year, I won my fantasy football league. I've had like surprisingly some things where I'll just like go to the store getting like, you know, girls things, clothes or whatever. And I'll have like $20 off on something, you know, and, I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but hey, I'll take it. You got to so, take the, the small victories as they come. <laughs> so I'm like, we'll just say that that's a good start to 2021. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am excited for this episode because we just saw the college football playoff semifinals unfold. And of course, Alabama, no surprise there, getting the win over Notre Dame. I think we both predicted that it would be that type of game. Um, but I think the big surprise for some people, and I'm not going to put our names in it because first and foremost, you predicted Ohio state to win. Sure. And I didn't ever think that they couldn't win. And I also thought Dabo really shot himself in the foot. We discussed that on the last podcast and I thought it gave Ohio state some real fuel so let's just go over what you thought of that game, Joshua, and what came over Ohio State. Is this the the real Ohio State that we're going to also see against Alabama? I hope it is. I really do. I That's a, the hardest thing is, was Ohio State in the six games that we saw them before the playoff, maybe just you know, coasting by on simple game plans and just being better. And they were saving their real punch for when they got to the playoff or was it a heightened preparation and a heightened motivation that we saw in the playoff? Mm -hmm. Who knows? I mean, we've seen Justin Fields play at the level that he played at. We had seen Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson play like that before. We'd seen some of the players along that defensive line in the linebacker group play the way that they played, but we just hadn't seen a ton of it this year. And and I really do think motivation played a huge role into yeah. what we saw on the football field. And I, I think that there is going to be uh, this lingering motivation based off of this underdog mentality that Ohio state will have that they will take into the national title game down there in Miami. But I'm, I'm hoping you can get a repeat for performance because it was dominant through and through. It was a thorough dismantling of Clemson. I think that Ohio State's offensive and defensive game plans were just better. I think Ohio State 
that showed they had the better coaching staff, made the better adjustments. I think they showed they had uh, better chess pieces out there as well, just in terms of the way that the players played. They were a more physical team. And that's what you're going to need to to beat Bama because I'm watching the tape right now, and Bama's a really mm-hmm. good football team. They got some damn weapons, and uh, it's going to be all hands on deck. You mentioned the game plan. I think that is besides the motivation factor and, and how they played with that massive chip on their shoulder. Um, I think the game plan was really, really solid. I do really like how they opened up incorporating the tight ends. The tight ends accounted for three of the touchdowns um, in that semifinal game. And I really think it kind of threw Clemson for a loop early on. I agree with you 100%. The offensive game plan was different and it was it was from the first snap because they came out in the first um, on the first snap and they showed a formation um, that they hadn't shown all year, at least in, in all the tape that I had watched. And so you could tell that they were just going to be different. And you're right. The the use of the tight ends was effective because not only was it Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave that you had to be aware of on the outside, you had Jeremy Ruckert and Luke Farrell that you had to to be on the lookout. And those are the two tight ends. And then it wasn't even that, but it was Jamison Williams playing wide receiver, uh, providing a little bit of depth there. And Jackson Smith and Jigba providing a little bit of depth at wide receiver. And this is before we even get to talk about Trey Sermon, who was not only big on the ground with, you know, almost 200 rushing yards, but he was big in the pass game too. had a couple of key third down conversions on checkdowns. I mean, they, they understood that distributing the ball, around that offense was was going to be a way to move it efficiently and effectively, and, and they had whatever they wanted all night. By the way, anytime New Orleans and the Sugar Bowl wants to invite the Buckeyes to play yeah. there, y'all go ahead because White I unis, remember, please. right? I remember back in 2014 when you were there, when you won against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, obviously this year beating Clemson. Man, I mean, it just seems to work down there. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the way you want it. Yeah, right. Going into this game, and there were some rumors out there that they they might change things around in, in, in terms of when it was going to be played. But from everything that we've heard, it is going to happen next Monday in Miami. And the thing is, is this game is, I think everyone's excited for it. And I know it's two teams that we're used to seeing in the college football playoff. However, Ohio State has not been there since 2014. They've come close, but I think people are excited because it's a bit of a, you know, underdog mentality, but still at the same time, people know that they have a chance to beat Alabama. What do you look at in terms of storylines headed into this of why it makes it so intriguing? Yeah, I, I think that's that's it right there. Um, in Columbus, at least people are drawing parallels to the 2014 title run. And mm-hmm. one of the things that made that possible was beating Alabama. And so here you are again with that opportunity. It's not a Clemson Alabama rematch that we've seen a number of yep. times. Um, and so I, I think that's fresh. And then I think you're absolutely right. When you talk about, again, kind of a, a David and Goliath type story with Alabama being the team that's going to be favored in in really a dynasty from Nick Saban and Ryan Day is the new guy on the block and this is really his first taste of championship football mm-hmm. and it's it's just going to be exciting to to watch all of it I, I like I I think one of the the fun matchups in this game is not just on the field but I think the coaching battle because it is the old sure. dog 
um, with experience in, in the all-star coaching staff with a bunch of guys who are, you know, former head coaches. And then Ryan Day, the young up and coming guy, the, the great offensive mind. Um, I, it's fascinating to me. It really is. I'm truly so excited to watch this game. It, it kind of does bring me back to that 2014 season when we had that Alabama Ohio State matchup because it was almost bigger than the title game, right? I mean, it was almost like there was more hype for the semifinals with Ohio State and Alabama than there was for you guys in Oregon because um, it just brings that mystique of college football when you have these two dynamic programs. Now, Joshua, on Alabama's side of things, I mean, we all know how great this offense has been this season, specifically with Steve Sarkeesian there. Steve Sarkeesian there um, running the show. And it looks like Saban is saying there's a chance that even Jalen Waddle could be available, which is going to be, I mean, we all know what he was supposed to be entering the season. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like they need any more weapons, but I mean, how much of a challenge is this going to be uh, for this defense? Let me let me throw this out here. Jalen Waddle <laughs> is still the third leading receiver Please. on Alabama today, wow. and that is kind of wild considering it's been a while <laughs> since we've seen him play. He played five games, um, but yeah, I mean. For Ohio State defensively, their hands are going to be full. And I've been thinking about a game plan because Ohio State, and this is not, you know, it's my team, but like they they really haven't been able to stop the best receivers they played. I mean, they even gave up 400 to Trevor in, mm -hmm. in Clemson, I think 137 to Cornelius Powell in the semifinal game. And so your game plan is to handle the yeah. offensive firepower. It's not yeah. to stop because if you go in there thinking you're going to stop, then your feelings are going to be hurt and you're going to be feeling dejected <laughs> because those they're really good players. They're going to get plays, but you have to tackle those guys with space still to line up and play football. If it's a big play, let's make sure it's not a big play that goes for a touchdown. And I really do think that is the way to conceptualize what a, a performance should be because Otherwise, it's going to be a really difficult night. But I, I look at Ohio State's front seven, and, and they're going to have something to say about it because uh, pass rush and pass coverage work together. Mm -hmm. And we saw what happened to Trevor as he got hit and he yeah. got flustered and confused. And that'll be a big part of the game plan heading into play Alabama. But on the other side, when you talk about Ohio State's offense, and we just saw what they did with their talent against Clemson, you go in thinking, man, Alabama, yeah, they have a good defense, but it's not like it's anything crazy out of this world, right? And so if they can do what they did against Clemson, they're going to have just as hard of a time stopping Ohio State. And I feel like Justin Fields is now just taking things to another level because he's playing, if anyone's playing with a chip on it, his shoulder, it's him. Yep. Alabama's defense is not elite. And no. so it, it opens up opportunities. I said this the last show that we did before the semifinal, but you tell me who is going to guard both Chris Olave and Garrett mm -hmm. Wilson. And now we saw all the, the four other weapons that really got involved <laughs> on Ohio State's offense. Really five other weapons that got yeah. involved in the semifinal. You, you can't you can't handle all those guys. You can't guard them. So 
this game has the feeling of a shootout. We've seen the over under. It's like the highest ever for a national title game. And I expect it to be just like that. But um, if if the semifinal is any indication, it'll be it'll be one of those chances again for all of the weaponry Ohio State possesses to be explosive because Alabama's defense is not the Alabama defenses we've seen in the past. Before we move on, I do have to ask, what would it mean for Ohio State to beat an Alabama team that has been put on such a pedestal this year? And I'm not saying they don't deserve it because they have done so much right. Um, And Nick Saban continues to be Nick Saban. But what would it mean for an Ohio State program that played so much less football this season that at one point wasn't even going to play football that has had COVID issues, what would it mean to, to get a win over Alabama? Probably means the world. Um, and it's the, the adversity uh, yeah. that they fought through and you brought it up, but I think that's a big part. And it's exactly why they fought so hard to play. Ryan Day said before the season that he felt like the team that he was coaching this year was a very special team, uh, mm-hmm. an all-timer, you know, type team at Ohio state. And it's really hard to say that there's any team that's an all timer because Ohio state's had so many good ones, but um, if they can pull off this championship, I think it validates every single thing that Ohio state was stumping for when big 10 football uh, was canceled. And I think it validates Justin Fields sticking around and being a champion for football here in the Midwest. And it validates Sean Wade and Wyatt Davis coming back. And um, you know, it, it, it just, it it feels like you really accomplished the mission because of how hard you fought to get to the moment. Well, get your popcorn ready, you guys, because it's going to be a good one next Monday. Of course, we'll talk about it on Press Pass next week. Well, thanks to the lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, which we see all the time in sports, uh, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they have joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, The football season will be different as we have seen it play out. And Pepsi, here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch it. So Pepsi, of course, a refreshment. You know, you need to power through the day with it because it really gets you through some games, some days, some long days. Uh, Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, guys. It's made for those of us who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. So over the last few days, I have been literally like on Twitter and something will pop up about, you know, a coaching change or this or that, or who, who they're looking at possibly going to the NFL that are coaching college coaches. I've heard so many names floating out there, of course, in, including Urban Meyer, who is currently working as an analyst at Fox, but the big, the biggie, over the weekend and a bit not surprising, but the timing, maybe Tom Herman out at Texas. Boy, um, we so had had, there. we had had conversations and I, I hate to see anybody lose their job. Um, but the writing was on the wall in a lot of ways and, and Texas finished out the year really well. I think he won, you know, like five of his last six and, uh, won the bowl game and he's been really good in bowl games, but just wasn't moving the needle. And I think there's two things to consider here is number one, Texas needs to stop thinking about this national championship, this college football playoff, because they're not there yet as a program. But what they do need to consider is how do we win a big 12 championship so we can be in position to, to, to get a, a college football playoff slot. 
And I think that's where this build has to go. So there are my thoughts on that. I, I also will say this too. It's a hell of a bet during a, a global pandemic, the amount yeah. of money that they spent that the guy that they're bringing in who we're going to talk about is going to be the guy. And it's it's really, really unique to see how they were comfortable enough to spend all of that money on something that I don't think is 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 a, a sure bet. And you're absolutely right. And for you out there, the, the people that are, that are listening to this, we are talking about Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Look, I mean, he was the the hiring was announced hours after Tom Herman was fired. So they clearly had been planning this, right? They had talked to him. They had, you know, asked what his interest was in the job, I'm sure. And clearly he he wanted the job and, and he got the job. And here's the thing about Steve, Steve Sarkeesian. His background is is very, I guess, it's just skeptical. Like there's, yeah. there's so many things that have gone on in his young career. And I say that because yes. he's not that old. Look, he was, the, he was the head coach at Washington and USC where he had major issues, individual issues. Yes. And I'm not saying that, you know, that people can't have issues and they can't work through them. Right. But he has had a pattern. Now, he hasn't been known for breaking that pattern since he's been under Nick Saban, but right. he's been under Nick Saban. And we all know when you're under Nick Saban, you do what Nick Saban says and there's no give or take. I mean, you you literally do what do what he says or you're off, you're yeah. out. And so I don't know, maybe Steve Sarkeesian learned something under Saban in terms of making him a better man, making him somebody who could be a head coach in this position. But once you get into a position like that, where you're the man again, you're the guy in charge. Yep. There's a lot of times where you go back to your old ways. Yes. And I don't know if I feel comfortable with him at a place like Texas, where you know the donors run the show, yep. that he's going to be able to be successful. And that's the 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 thing where I would lean is, first off, it, it is um, something to be celebrated that Steve Sarkeesian has been able to to stay on the straight and narrow um, the way that he has, but you always have to ask the question, what were maybe some of the, the triggers and the stressors that caused the, the behavior that was destructive. And when you're working under Nick Saban, it is definitely pressure because that's the type of coach that he is, but it's not running your own program type pressure. And it's not running the University of Texas football program type pressure, which is completely different than coaching even at Washington or, or USC. And so you, you definitely ask that question of, are the support systems going to be in place to where he can be successful? And I think it's, like I said earlier, you're betting a lot of money that everything's going to go right. And it's not just the social aspect that we're talking about right now, but like, is this guy actually going to be able to recruit quarterbacks the way that they think? He can, because that's that's the reason why you hire Steve Sarkeesian. He's a great offensive mind. He worked with really good quarterbacks um, throughout his career. He got the guys at USC, Palmer, Liner, mm-hmm. Sanchez, and then he had Locker, and then he had Tua. Um, like, you really, you're betting that he can bring in an elite quarterback, and we know that those are the guys who get you to the college football playoff. We don't know if he can do that. And then we don't have a reason to believe that he can actually run a successful program. And I'm not saying because of the issues that he had, I'm talking about wins and losses. He was like 46 and 35 
um, in his head coaching career at USC and at Washington. That's not going to get it done at Texas. And so those are the questions that I have. And, and really, for me, we've talked about this before, and I know I'm going on, but the the I don't think that the minority coaching candidates in college football are are getting legitimate looks right now. I don't mm-hmm. think that when they're being brought in to interview for some of these jobs, that they are being brought in for serious consideration. I think a lot of them are the kind of quote unquote token interview mm-hmm. where they bring in a guy to say that they interviewed a minority candidate, but did not really consider. And I have no idea what Texas's interview process was, but I think it's lazy for any schools hiring just to go to see who's on Nick Saban's staff yeah. and see if he's a guy that you would want to bring in. I also, like I said, I think it's a very risky bet that they made and the amount of money that they wagered on it um, is inordinate to to bring in a retread that had not the level of success that Texas would want on the football field. And so that's all I'll say on that is I hope he does well for his own sake and I hope that everything is fine. But for me, I just don't know if the proper due diligence was done, number one, but number two, like I also think if if Steve Sarkeesian was a minority coach, he would definitely not have this opportunity right now to be at the the pinnacle of college football at one of the storied programs after the on and off field issues that he had. I just don't see it happening like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's that's a good point, Joshua. I mean, and Steve Sarkeesian, look, I mean, look what he's dealing with at Alabama in terms of what he's been given to work with talent wise on the offense. Right. I mean, the, the, the amount of, of talent that is just given to Alabama and I'm not saying give it like, it's not, they got to recruit these guys and whatever, but he's working with so many gold pieces. And when you go to Texas, you're on your own and you have to make sure you're hiring a staff that's going to be able to get out there and to recruit. And this brings me to this point. And I will bring up a minority head coach that Texas did hire a few, uh, a few coaches back, and that's Charlie Strong. And I remember, you know, when Charlie Strong came there, I had heard a story the other day on ESPN. It was in the morning, the talk show in the mornings on the weekend. And Get it was up. Katie. Oh, no. no, it was it was just a weekend radio show. And it was Katie George who was actually telling the story. And she said, because she's connected with a lot of people down in Texas, and she said when Charlie Strong was hired, there were people that really loved the fact that he was there. But this continues to be an issue with any head coach down there. The recruiting in Texas, which is so big because you have so much talent down there, to keep the to keep those those five stars and four stars there in Austin to go to Texas, it's become harder and harder to do. And she said, ever since Mac, um, why am I, why am I spacing his name? God. Mac Brown. I always want to say Mac Jones for some reason. Yes. Yep. Mac Brown, ever since he left, it's been really hard for coaches to build relationships with these high school coaches. They don't want to build the relationships with this, with the Texas coaches. Sure. They have their own little way of doing things. They don't want to help them out in any way. So it's becoming really hard to recruit in-state talent there and it became a big issue with charlie strong as well Um, and part of the reason you just couldn't get talent you know the big time names um because texas again breeds these type of athletes so i found that really interesting 
as to it's not only just the donors that are having a say in everything that goes on, but it sounds like the high school coaches besides Mac Brown, who I think they really loved and were willing to do whatever for, it's been an issue down yeah. there. Well, and I'll say this too. I think that probably some of those relationships started to maybe taper off toward the end of Mac's tenure sure. because you start to, you look at really the the fall of Texas football and you start to see the rise of Florida football, the rise mm-hmm. of Alabama football, uh, the rise even of Ohio state back into that wow. rare air where their national title conversation every single year, the rise of Oklahoma football in a big way. And you can ask the question, where are some of the best players on those rosters coming from? The state of Texas. Exactly. Oklahoma is robbing Texas yes. of talent all of the time. Florida's got Texas guys that ball out. Alabama's got LSU's got them. Ohio State's got a, a couple of them that are balling. And uh, I, I think it all definitely relates. And, and to your point, I can only speak for what I know, but like Ryan Day and Brian Hartline, I know for a fact have spent an inordinate amount of time trying to develop relationships with high school coaches in yeah. the state of Texas, because yeah. they understand how talent rich and how important it is to be able to recruit there. So your point is extremely valid. And I, I would be curious to see how those relationships evolve over the next couple of seasons. Yep. And one more thing on Sarkeesian before we move on to the next coach that I'm excited to talk about, but um, he is an X's and O's guy. Like he is brilliant in terms of offense. And we've seen guys like Kiffin, um, you know, go and he's now at Old Miss. And I think he's really, you know, having a, a pretty decent time getting kids to believe in his first season. I know they had some ups and downs, but for the most part, I think they're doing, I I think they're on the right track there. Um, But Sarkeesian has a a much harder job. He's in a much more prestigious role at Texas. Um, Again, they're expected to do so much like USC, you know, they haven't gone anywhere yet and they're trying to get back to being relevant. And so it's just going to be, Really interesting to keep your eye on that situation because the pressure doesn't get any less, you know, as years go goes by. They're gonna it's gonna get more because yeah. they're becoming more and more irrelevant. So yeah, well, I say the pressure gets higher the more <laughs> success they have too. So it's just it's True. not going down at all. Just right, it's, it's always it's gonna not. go up. <laughs> exactly, that's what you get for being at Texas. Um, the other guy that has not been fired or hired anywhere else yet is that guy up in Michigan and that's Jim Harbaugh and he um there's been rumors Bruce Feldman came out a couple days ago and said there was a report um out that there was a deal getting wrapped up soon with an extension at Michigan through 2026 but then on the other hand you're starting to hear that he wants to coach in the NFL so you're also hearing these vacant jobs in the NFL are going to be interviewing him. What in the world is going on up there? I, I, so this is the situation that I am assuming is going on is they've offered him an extension. It's sitting on his desk. It was exactly what people <laughs> thought it would be is a contract that keeps him there. Um, that is cheaper on a per year basis and has a favorable buyout situation for the mm. university. And Jim Harbaugh is now trying to see if there's a situation in the NFL that might work better than the current situation that he's in. And if there is, he is going to gladly decline the new contract and move to the NFL. And if the situation doesn't exist, then he's going to sign that little raggedy deal they probably presented him with until he gets an opportunity um, again in the NFL to 
go into a better situation or the off chance that he actually does get Michigan football turned around and they can get him on a better contract. But what it feels like is, is Michigan wants continuity and they don't know if they have their guy, their replacement there yet. Harbaugh right. wants a better contract, but doesn't know if he's got better opportunities out there. And so, you know, it's just kind of chilling in limbo is what it feels like. I have no idea, but that's what it feels like to me. To me, it feels like they're going backwards again. Back. I mean, this is this is a joke because the more that you deal with this uncertainty and the more you deal with just settling for, well, we'll have him here, you know, because we, we just don't know who else is out there right now. The more that you're just setting this program back. And to me, it's not really moved that much forward since Harbaugh has been there. It has a bit. But for, for the most part, I don't think they've done anything to take leaps and bounds and to get any closer to Ohio State. And so, I mean, I know Ohio State fans are just overjoyed because it looks like Michigan is still just at a standstill in terms of growing their, their um, program. Yep, that is uh, 100% the issue is it's just stagnant there. <sighs> My personal opinion uh, would be that you could bring in a different coach that would be a, a breath of fresh air and provide more energy to the program. But I really don't know if the end result is going to be any different. I, I still think it nets you a loss to Ohio state, no chance of playing in the big 10 championship game, no college football playoff berth, maybe a new year six bowl game. But like, I, I really don't think bringing somebody else in changes very much right now. So they're they're in a unique spot. Well, what the heck do they? I mean, what do they need, Joshua? I mean, is there is there the savior of Michigan that somewhere in the future it's going to just happen, or is this a program like Nebraska that just continues to be at a standstill and will never be what it was? Well, this is what I would present to you: is as long as Ohio State is churning out NFL talent the way it is. Yeah. As long as Ohio State is a perennial college football playoff contender the way that it is, and as long as Columbus is a much better Midwestern city yeah. than Ann Arbor, it's mm -hmm. going to be a lot harder to recruit uh, the, the top tier, top caliber players to compete against Ohio State like that year in and year out at Michigan. I, I just I really think that's the, the situation that they're up against. And I've said it before on this show, I'll say it again. Michigan hasn't seen the level of success that Ohio state sees year in and year out since like 2004. And that would mean that a lot of their guys were like, you know, two and three and four years old at the time. People conceptualize that the yeah. fact that the last time they would have had any type of relevant success. And what I mean is winning a big 10 championship. Some of their players were too young to ever remember that happening. It takes a lot to recover from that. Yep. And when you have such a dominant program in a conference like we see in Alabama and the SEC, while there's teams that get close, we've seen that they just can't get to that level. And I think in the Big Ten, there's just that much bigger of a gap with Ohio State and how dominant it has been in the past several years. Well, football is back in full swing. It's been great to have college football and NFL. Now we've got the playoffs coming up in the NFL and, of course, the college football championship uh, next Monday and you might not be at the game but you can bet on all the action online bet online is going that extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props bet online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else 
Now, you can get in on their season opening bonuses today. Start off wagering with those wins, division, and championship features all day, every day. So head to Bet Online, take advantage of the great sign-up bonuses, guys. And don't forget to use that promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That is BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So I was talking about all the coaching things that are going on in terms of names being thrown out there. There's also something else that's happening, and it's the transfer portal, and it's like out of control. It's just every other day there is a name being put out there that's like, hey, enjoyed my time, but I'm entering the transfer portal. And it's some big names. Uh, And I'll start off with just a couple down here in the SEC. Uh, Just a couple of weeks ago, quarterback JT Shrout, who we thought had a good shot at being Tennessee's quarterback in maybe, you know, next season, because Garantano also uh, entered the transfer portal. He he went to Colorado, and so he now is going to be playing in the Pac-12. Then a big one t- on um, Tuesday, Joshua, Tennessee's top running back, Ty Chandler, entering the transfer portal. They so got really, an issue at Tennessee. There's yeah, something I'll, going I'll on. That. There's something there going on, right? I, so I know I'm, nothing I about the situation. About that, right? I, I mean, know nothing about really, this situation, but there's something going happening. on for sure. No, I don't I know mean, what the hell is going on. But they've had some investigations from within that there had been some word out there, and they said that that was not involving the NCAA. It was within the program. However, you have heard everything that's going on with you know J, uh, with the head coach Jeremy Pruitt, and just he's been getting a lot of backlash just with just how he has kind of like handled this season and how they have gone for the worst, <laughs> tumbled down a hill and have not recovered. Um, so there's just, I just feel like there, there's something going on there and it's not good. And these players are seeing it and they're like, we're getting out. I yeah. Mean, well, no, there's, there's something I, I, I have no idea, but um, when you start to see the top players getting out, there's, that means there's nothing no redeeming qualities to make them stay there. And they're going to go somewhere where they don't even know what could happen. And they're, they're going to, they're just, they're betting that it's going to be better than what they got going on. That's right. That's an issue. Yeah. So um, another one, Kentucky's quarterback, Terry Wilson, he answered, uh, he just announced he's going to the transfer portal. And then there's Oklahoma's a wide receiver, Charleston Rambo, who a pretty good wide receiver um, because of so much depth there and just so much talent that they're getting each and every year. Um, I guess he decided that, that, that he's headed out. I don't know where he's going, but my question to you on the transfer portal, how much more popular has this become and how much easier has it become for players? It's, it's a real popular option right now. And I don't fault any players for jumping into the portal because Mm -hmm. they got to be in control of their athletic journeys. But I think the interesting thing for this year becomes the amount of players in the portal and the extra eligibility that exists throughout college football. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it hurts players by portaling this year um, where maybe some rosters are going to have some, some number issues are going to be some scholarship issues to where maybe there, there won't, there'll be so many guys who take that extra year of eligibility that are already on rosters. And then so many guys on the portal that some schools won't be able to come up with enough scholarships to cover um, either the guys that are in the portal that are trying to find a roster or some of the guys that want that extra year of eligibility, the school would say, you can play, but we're not going to pay for you to go to school. 
that would be a really interesting scenario. Um, want to point out from the Big Ten, a couple of, of transfers, kind of big names. Mookie Cooper from Ohio State, who was one of the all-star freshman wide receivers, uh, didn't get any playing time this year. He has transferred to Mizzou, so he's leaving okay. the Big Ten and going to the SEC. And then Wisconsin's quarterback from a year ago, Jack Cohn, who got injured yeah, in training yeah. camp, has transferred to Notre Dame uh, to finish out his collegiate career. And I have no idea if that was a depth transfer or if he's really going to be competing uh, since Ian Book is going to be out the dough. So we'll be interested to see how that plays out. But a couple of, of uh, prominent Big Ten guys there for you. That's inter- And I was going to ask you if you had heard what names up there, clearly, because that's your region up there that you you know best. But that's in- interesting about Cone. Um because we had talked about him a lot on this podcast and I could see him, you know, maybe it's just because he thinks, Hey, Notre Dame, I'll get the opportunity. I mean, what's their court. Do you know their quarterback situation up there? So I just, I I hit a search real quick because I have no idea, but it it seems like he's going to be competing for that QB one slot um, because it's nothing but backup quarterbacks out there. Now this is a criticism of Notre Dame, not to get into all these damn conversations, but, (laughs) The reason why Notre Dame gets embarrassed on the national stage, at least recently, is the lack of an elite quarterback. And Jack Cohn did a great job for Wisconsin. That boy is not a playoff quarterback. You look at the teams that have had success. Trevor Lawrence, really good quarterback. Justin Fields, really good quarterback. Mac Jones, Heisman Trophy finalist, really good quarterback. Uh, Joe Burrow last year, great quarterback. Like you, I mean, I'm not going to go through and name all of these guys. But the the real ones that get you to the promised land are elite quarterbacks. They do it off of the arm of an elite quarterback. And as as long as Notre Dame's operating with the guys that they have slinging the football out there, they're going to struggle to win a national title. Yep. You're exactly right. It is. I mean, as much as we, we love defense and we talk about you got to have a, a decent defense, it used to be emphasis way more on having a solid defense, right? I mean, you saw some of the teams win it in in terms of the Alabama teams back in the day, and and it's like that's what they prided themselves on. Now it's completely turned, and you're right. I mean, you've got to have an elite quarterback to be even in the mix. Um, So it it will be interesting to see um, what happens over there with him. One last thing on the transfer portal. Do do you think that if anyone – I feel like there's programs that can benefit from this though now, this year specifically. Yes. Are there any specific programs you look to that are like, ooh, maybe, you know, this will benefit a program like this? I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'll give you two examples of it paying off in the past is Illinois had a lot of success um, grabbing guys out of the portal. Mm-hmm. And what it really does is you get a, a, a player that's got a ready-made college football body, somebody who... You probably don't have to train to get them up to a level because they, you know, they've, they've been in a college program before. So Illinois did that. And I mean, they had a bunch of transfer guys playing and it was more last year than this season, but they found a lot of success toward the end of the year with that. And then Rutgers is another one. And they were really interesting because they had a lot of guys from the big 10 conference who transferred there. Aaron Krunkshik was an, an all conference returner who went to Rutgers and was a really good returner wide receiver. Brendan White was the MVP of a Rose Bowl game 
for Ohio State. Transferred, went to Rutgers, did a really good job there. They had a couple of linebackers, a couple of D linemen. I think a D lineman from Michigan who ended up being one of their best guys up front. Their quarterback, Noah Vedral, was a transfer from Nebraska. Uh, like They really made the transfer thing work. And so if you're a school who's maybe a little bit of a lower level school in your conference, maybe you can't recruit very well in terms of guys out of high school, it's your opportunity to get a little bit of a retread type of guy and you can motivate them because you're giving them a second chance and you believe in them. And a lot of times those guys are ready to play right away. They're plug and play type of, of dudes. So um, we'll see probably that situation. I don't anticipate a lot of times that programs like Ohio State and Alabama uh, really look toward the transfer portal transfer portal for guys because they you know they they get their pick when they're recruiting the first time around but it's really those kind of mid tier to to lower rung teams within conferences that I think benefit from the portal the most. You know who might benefit from the portal down here in Nashville? Who's that? Clark Lee and Vanderbilt. Yeah, it probably will. Listen, I mean, this guy is already announced he's he's hiring like a manager type position where he's going to be kind of doing things different down here with the way he runs the show. And I feel like he's going to do things, again, different from what's been done in the past. And in the SEC, that's kind of what you have to do if you're Vanderbilt. you got to get creative in the ways that you do things. And I feel like this could be a program not necessarily getting some huge names, but getting names that could could make a little bit of a difference. I just thought – you know, maybe let's talk about that for a sec, because I think Clark Lee is now a name that has been tossed around enough that it's recognizable to college football players. And the success that Notre Dame had this year definitely benefits that. I think Lovey had success in the portal because he's a name. I think Greg Schiano had success in the portal because he's a name. And yeah. so I think there's there's something to the ability to leverage your resume as a coach and trying to get guys who are looking for a second chance. Cause if I'm a guy looking for a second chance and I'm, I know I'm going to a program that's a lesser program than where I was before. Maybe I'm looking for the dude with a name so I could at least say, okay, he's got a trusted track record of, of success somewhere. I'm not going to the program that, that hired the, the head coach from the small school. Nobody knows about yeah. I'm going somewhere where they got a dude who has a name where I can say, all right, if I'm putting my my hopes of a second chance into somebody, it's going to be a guy who at least has a track record that precedes him. I will say this, and this is what I was speaking about with the, the new ways that he's doing things. So <clears throat> supposedly um, Clark Lee has hired a guy by the name of Barton S- Simmons. He is um, mm-hmm. the 24-7 sports director of scouting. Yep. He's hired him to be like the general manager. And so he'll be dealing with all the, you know, player personnel. And they were, I guess they were high school teammates at Montgomery Bell Academy, a really good football uh, program here in Nashville. You're probably familiar with it. But um, so that's like something that he's doing, which I think is really just interesting that we've never really seen before. So, you know, who knows? who knows what, what, if that will work out, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. It's it's 2021. Who knows what we're going to be getting ourselves into? <laughs> hopefully well, out of a pandemic. Than last year. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, reports are indicating that 2021 will be a better year 
And I'm reading this headline. Okay. It says exclusive Kim Kardashian and Kanye West are oh, getting no. a divorce. So we're, we're starting oh, off really kidding. good. That's Is that why Kanye's um, trending? I guess wow. so. Wow. Are we surprised? Well, it was bound to happen. Kim Kardashian yeah. is is I mean, not one for the long haul, and Kanye's a nut. Yeah. So exactly. So it, it you know again, it, it's it's not always a fairy tale ending, folks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry to break it to you. Uh, that was fun. Great episode of Press Pass. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. We gave you a little preview of the college football playoff championship game on Monday. Enjoy it. Hopefully, it stays on Monday. Um, before we go, Joshua was very active on social media this past week. It was very fun to watch. What were you getting at there? Um, Dabo talking all that <laughs> smack. That was definitely part of it. Yeah, Couldn't back it up. So I had to go ahead and, and pull out the receipts on his ass. You were getting Clemson like people, right? Like attacking. Oh, yeah. Oh, they were they were tight. They were so mad oh and it's my just my favorite drink of 2021 <laughs> so far is clemson fans tears i just <laughs> guzzle them they're delicious oh my gosh yeah i'm sorry i don't feel bad for any of you clemson fans i'm glad joshua tells it how it is because he needs a dose of slap in the face like yeah he sure does and so do the fans if they think that he was smart by doing that uh you can follow joshua at at RIP underscore JEP. Um, we'll be active on Twitter again this week because we got a big yeah. game coming up. So follow your boy. It'll be fun. You can follow me at Kayla Anderson TV. Uh, we'll be back here next week to talk about who wins the college football championship. Uh, you know where I'm going. All right, folks. You know where I'm going. And you know where Joshua's going. Well, we're not biased on this podcast at all. <laughs> you guys take care. Are we- are we biased or are we not biased? No, I mean, we're not biased at all. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> <laughs>